Welcome back to Eden's Apple Podcast. My name is Val. We're joined. And we also have a special guest today, published author and general awesome person, Cheyenne. I'll go ahead and let you take some time to introduce yourself and kind of your experiences with church and like religious experiences. I think some of them might be a little bit similar to mine. Oh, thanks, folks, for uh, letting me be on here. I appreciate it. I've been listening to yours for a while and I enjoy it quite a lot. Um, But yeah, so my name is Cheyenne Bramwell. Like Val said, I am a published author. I have a a poetry book out now called Words Are Hard, uh, all about writer's block. It's it's a whole thing. (laughs) It's really good. I, I have a copy myself. Oh, I need to get a copy. I haven't done that yet. I'm a broke ass bitch though. Um, hey, you're good, know. dude. No worries. <laughs> I don't know if we all went to school at the same time, but we did all go to we did all go to school at the same school, and that's how I met you. Yep, I believe we met through it was the cosplay community up there. Uh, was where I, and I met Wushu. Yeah, the martial arts uh, yeah. stuff up there as well. The kind of uh, general stuff, other than the author thing, uh, like. Kim mentioned I am a martial artist. I do a variety of other stuff, SCA, playing with my cats. Apologies now if they uh, <laughs> call in because uh, they love doing that when I'm when I'm chatting with other people. So heads up on the cat sounds. But yeah, so I use they, them pronouns. I am a non-binary person and I uh, did grow up being very, very Mormon. Um, hence why some of the situations might be a little similar to to Val here. But I have since left the church in uh, college was kind of when that happened. I'm sure we'll get into more details about that. But uh, yeah, since then, I have figured out a lot more about myself and I'm happy with it, to be frank. Yeah. yeah. We've never had another ex-Mormon. Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> I can talk. Uh, We're on... having a Mormon moment. That's what you're trying to say. <laughs> Small moment. So I thought that <laughs> would be like moment. cool to get you guys both on because we haven't had an ex-Mormon guest. Yeah, honestly, like it takes a lot of bravery to leave that. Um, so just wanted to say like like power to you for navigating that landscape, especially if you have family that are still entrenched in the church mm-hmm. and like the whole community that probably came with being a Mormon that you had to inexorably separate from. It's a not an easy thing to do and certainly helps if you have friends outside of that bubble to to support you. So yeah, Kim, uh, I'm not sure if there's any specific topic you wanted to kick off on or so for some background information, uh Cheyenne, how like how long were you in the Mormon church? Was it something you were raised in? Or um did your family come into it a little, little later? What's the story behind that? Uh so I was raised in it, was Mormon since the day I was born, kind of situation. Uh, I uh, yeah, and my mom's family is from Utah. So the Utah Mormons, I'm I'm sure this has been mentioned on in the past, but uh they're kind of like an extra level of Mormon. 
on top of the usual Mormon. So uh, that that's a whole thing. So my mom's side of the family is is Utah Mormon, and my dad's side of the family is also Mormon, but not Utah Mormon. So there's a whole layer there. But in combination with the whole very Mormon upbringing and that kind of stuff, unfortunately, I also just had a very toxic familial uh, situation um, with an abusive dad and that kind of stuff. And it did, unfortunately, wrap up pretty tightly with the whole Mormon thing and could probably get into more detail on that later. But I I think that's important to include in the background just because it did have a significant impact. I totally understand that with the dad. I was born and raised evangelical, but you find with these things that it's just the same set of oppression tactics. And then they kind of like wrap it up in different set dressing. But yeah, my family was definitely like you develop a cult of personality around the father and then the father is abusive or not abusive who knows everybody takes it to different extremes but mine was pretty bad i did want to talk specifically to you about like how did your family and or church feel about you going to college and did college help you deprogram because it helped me a lot oh yeah so that's that's a whole thing so the fact of me going to college in itself wasn't too intense of a, a thing from my family's perspective, it was, oh, cool, you're going to go to college, you're going to, you know, get a good job because you went to college, that kind of thing. Like that, that expectation And then, and then you there. can pay that money back into the church. Eh, that's a whole thing, too. I'm going to say that a lot, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of things to unpack when it comes to talking about oh, religion. So much. <laughs> so much. Oh, yeah. We we don't even have to get into all the details about the tax breaks and stuff like that. That uh, And, and the... I can't remember the details, but on a on a slight off topicness, there was a big deal recently about some information coming out about the Mormon Church and how much money it has and all that stuff. Um, a topic for for another time, I think. But yeah, yeah. So me going to college in itself wasn't that big of a deal, but there was definitely comments that were made uh, either to me or around me in the process of things where it was like, "Oh, you're you're going to." You know, going to places like that, unless you, you're going to church all the time, you're doing all the, you know, young adult activities and that Seminaries kind of thing. Like, and morning it, things, yeah, yeah. Multiple times a week, almost mm-hmm. every day. You could get, uh, tainted isn't the right word, but like that. Could that stray kind of, from the path, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, if a big thing in the Mormon church, and Val, I, I, I know you get this, but you're not supposed to have any doubt at all. You're only supposed to have faith because if you have any doubt in your heart, that'll grow into a, a, a tree and that that will just take over your life and you'll lose the, the faith that you have because a single question could lead you off the path and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there was some little comments about a certain amount of pressure to go to one of the actual Mormon schools, maybe. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. BYU, Idaho, Utah, or even Hawaii, but that's way expensive. And I couldn't have afforded that anyways. But definitely like Utah, it's like only up in Utah. BYU, you, you know, it's it's a good school. It'll keep you on the right path and all of that. And so the way the way communication worked in my family was things were not straightforward. And to be frank, it's a huge cause of my social anxiety today 
is that conversations were not like, hey, we don't want you to go to this school because you might do bad things. It was like, oh, but hmm, we're just going to we're just going to be a little disappointed here or there's going to be little off topic comments that were, were said about maybe you should try a different one, you know, that kind of thing. Um, That's and sort of so like there passive, ne- aggressive, like, oh. oh, yeah, like this is everything. Just, yeah, <laughs> everything is always passive aggressive. So that's that's a whole thing. So I never was told, hey, you shouldn't go to this school, especially because I got, got a scholarship. It was more like, hmm, OK, sort of. Well, thing. If that's how you feel. I trust you to make mm-hmm. the right decision. Oh, my God. Yes. Have that. you prayed about it? You know, like <laughs> things like that. Pray about it, like go and give your testimony about it, you know. (laughs) I'm like a cynical level. I always thought that it was smarter that the Mormons encouraged their kids to go to college because it does result in them paying higher tithes to the church. Whereas, like, uh, my fellowship was heavily anti further education, my dad, even more so. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe that's why the church is so broke. Makes sense, honestly. Well, and and another thing, too, is that a lot of transitioning or like people who join the church are through marriage from outside. So like if you bring Mormon kids to college, they spread it amongst their friends. There's the social pressure, like a a missionary church. So you can like encourage the social pressure to, to be a certain way, I think, by also having your kids go to college or higher education. So there's that too, because conversions do happen a lot that way. And largely through like marriage, like a girl goes to church and her family's Mormon. And so you become Mormon because you love her, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know if this, uh, this phrase was one that you were familiar with, Al, but uh, flirt to convert. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> the fact that is so a thing. Awkward. Uh, <laughs> it is so convert. God, especially because that you know, as someone who was raised female for 28 years of my life, I had all of the pressure of all of that. And if I'm going to be very frank here, if anyone tries to tell you that Mormonism is not very much tied into sexism, it, it, they're wrong. Straight up, like maybe in a very specific small group somewhere in the Mormon church, but the entire way it is set up and everything is based on that. I mean, the -hmm. guys get the priesthood, they get the God powers and the girls get to have babies. Right. It always trips me out that they start referring to the boys as elders so young. Like, I feel like that's not good for you. Uh, it's not good for a person to be doing that when you're a teenager and you have this kind of authority. It's oh, a no. huge power trip, like, to just be like, oh, you are... Well, you know, and it also applies a lot of pressure. So it's it's one of those mm-hmm. things that it's like, you're both putting a ton of pressure for these, like, kids who don't have their lives figured out to be like, you're the man of the house you're an elder you have the priesthood you know and then also they feel superior i think that there is a a certain sense that they have more significance because the patriarchal structure of the church like i just remember every time i would pass by i'm sure at your church you had like the the picture of all of the prophets right Mm -hmm. the modern day prophets 
prophets and there's like Brigham Young and etc and then like they goes down from there uh and just being like man that's a lot of old white dudes (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah like looking at a chart of the U.S. presidents yeah yeah a lot like that so or Gordon B. Hinckley all all of these names that like they they sound like the whitest names you know like there's no one (laughs) oh yeah no there's no flavor it's just it's just boring old white yeah Uh, it's true but actually tying back to uh before my my tangents um you were talking about uh college being an act of deprogramming um, or a, a environment of deprogramming, rather. And that is absolutely a huge thing for me as well, because the Mormon church is especially insular, maybe not uh, to a, a, the same degree as some other ones, but it's definitely up there on the list of very insular, because you want to surround yourself with good people, surround yourself with people who share your your morals and your ideals, meaning that are in the church and all of that and i am so glad i went oh my god uh because there were so many experiences and ideologies and just thought processes that i had never been exposed to that i'd never even heard of uh even being vaguely on the internet growing up and stuff like that i didn't know where to look i didn't know who to talk to it was very overwhelming at first just y'all know because you you met me pretty early on, I think, in in NAU stuff. How much of a different person I am today compared to back then. But it was something that, even though it was very uncomfortable a lot of the time, it was a good type of uncomfortable because it made it so that I I don't know if forced is the right word, but it, it, either I was gonna go and hang out with the Mormons twenty four seven every day. Or I was gonna enjoy my other friends and actually like be around other people. And I wasn't gonna hurt myself away at the church because like I've always had friends in the church, but part of that was the fact that I grew up in it. And that was a automatic community, I guess you could say, rather than a chosen community. And I still have a couple friends who are, are, are Mormon. So it's not like, oh, everyone in the Mormon church is an evil person. That's absolutely not true. I don't want that to come across, but it was a lot healthier for me and a lot better for me that I made so many friends who expanded my point of view just by being around. me, And I really appreciate that. Yeah, that's a growth thing. And especially in any of these communities that are like, you should surround yourself by people who believe exactly what you believe, uh, which is exactly how you don't grow. Right. And I, I really like what you said about like your chosen communities, just even the opportunity, like the choice. And it kind of even goes back to like the allegory about Eden is like you have the choice to make decisions throughout your entire life. And, you know, you have the autonomy to do it without the church. Like you're able to discover who you are without the context of all of the programming that went into the church and kind of like the expectations that they lord over you. Like, you know, you're going to be a homemaker. You're also going to like make money, you know, like the modern woman these days, even in the church is like still works quite a bit and this like focus on productivity. So I really like what you said about you, you finally get choice and how important that is to leaving the church 
or not even necessarily leaving the church, because maybe there are people who who are confronted with the choice and they decide to stay because like, you know, that's their comfort zone and like genuinely share those values. But if you don't, you should have the option to explore different perspectives and in things that could be good for you and like be more accepting of like the person that you are rather than the person that you've been told to be. I definitely went through that. My ex-husband, I don't know if you ever met him, but you met me when I was still married, I believe. Yeah. Decided he wanted to go to NAU. And so we went up there and I just went into theater just realizing like, oh, I'm kind of an asshole. Like the way that they have taught me to interact with people is actually not at all an acceptable way to interact with people. Like I've got a lot to learn. Yeah. And and my my experience might be a little little extreme or it might not. I, I'm I'm not entirely sure. But because of the combination of my toxic home life and the church stuff, I didn't really have a lot of independent thought because I grew up and the way I, I've I've come to figure out the best way of explaining it is I grew up as a non-entity. When I was growing up, it was one of those things where it was a, a survival mechanism, that's the word, to not have an opinion. Because if I did, I didn't know what was going to cause my dad to fly off the hinges. And he was never violent with me, but he was to my brothers and my mom. And so to me, that was, oh, well, if I stay in the corner and I stay quiet, if I don't argue, if I don't do anything, I won't get in tying that in with the church. Growing up in a place where, oh, you don't question things. You don't, you know, have opinions that aren't the ones that are being preached uh, in in church all the time. Well, it just reinforced that, right? It just gave it a further opportunity for me to shrink into a corner and just be the, oh, you want this done? I'll do it. You want this done? I'll do it. But not having a uh, dissenting opinion. I distinctly remember the first time I had an argument with my father. I was 12 years old and it was over the phone because I could not do it in person. And it was because I wanted to go to a friend's birthday on a Sunday. And it was at a hotel and they had a pool and it was really really cool place i looked up pictures it looked awesome they had a water slide i wanted to go on a water slide i told my mom because at this time they they got divorced when i was fairly young so they were separated this time but um i told my mom she was okay with it nothing bad to her at all i wanted to hang out with friends and i you know got the phone I called my dad and I said, hey, this is what I want to do. I want to go to my friend's birthday party. I want to go swimming. And I was with my dad on the weekends. That's how the, the divorce situation worked. And he proceeded for the next, I don't know how long. I have bad ability to determine time lengths, but it was a while. It felt like hours. But um, to proceed to berate me and yell at me over the phone. Uh, until I was just a sobbing wreck in my bedroom because I wanted to go to a friend's birthday party and swim on a Sunday, which was absolutely unacceptable. Yeah, he ended up hanging up because I was just a ball, a puddle, <laughs> a puddle on the on the ground at that point. But yeah, that was distinctly the first time I remember actually having a, a, an attempt at an opinion that was distinctly and vocally different than what was accepted at the time. And it's no wonder it took me until college to actually start thinking about things on my own and start actually developing personal opinions and feelings about certain things. 
because it was how I grew up. Yeah, I've been thinking recently about how specifically for people raised as girls in these environments, like I felt like I had to be able to produce emotion on demand, basically. Like I had to be able to produce whatever emotion my father wanted me to be displaying at the time, because if I didn't, things wouldn't go well for me. Yeah, there was always an expectation of how you were supposed to react to things and how you were supposed to uh, deal with things, because that was the way you were raised. That was the way that doctrine instructed you to do always turn the other cheek. Don't ever try and break out of what is already established because why would you do that don't fix it if it ain't broken uh sort of thing even though a lot of it was broken (laughs) we just were told that it wasn't uh i know a lot of other people who figure that out at different points in their lives and to me it's it's no wonder it took me a while because i just wasn't safe to not follow those rules and everything up until I left home. Yeah, I mean, the the physical safety and I mean, emotional safety, too, of just being separate from that situation in the same way that like you didn't want to have that conversation in person with your dad because you're just like there's I don't I don't feel safe. And that's that's really tough. And like, I'm, I'm sorry you ever had to feel that way about family where you're just like, I don't feel physically and emotionally safe to to be honest and I hope that like things that's it's really you had mentioned that your parents had separated pretty early on. And I know what a nightmare it is in the church to have to deal with all the families should be together forever. Like, you know, families are love. Families are everything like, you know, they really make a big deal about it. And you even call like people in the church like sister and brother and, you know, father and like all of these things. They really emphasize family and how that affected you when you had such a strained experience with your family. I I grew up with a lot of cognitive dissonance and a lot of dissociation. That was a huge survival tactic for me as well. One that I didn't realize was a thing until late college. And it's still something that I'm deprogramming myself of because, and and some of it, it's it's one of those things where you're literally rewriting the way your brain works. Seriously. Because- as far as I know, my dad started hitting me when I learned to crawl. And so there's like so much that development that goes on in those early stages. And if you don't have the proper support for it, you have to go through this huge reparenting process later in life. Absolutely. And there's a reason why I don't have a lot of memories from my childhood. Just straight up, people will ask me questions or I'll have conversations with my therapist and she'll be like, what's a memory from around this time? And I'm like, it's just blank because there was enough. It's uh, so there's so there's PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. And then there's a kind of a evolved form is the only phrase in my head. I'm a Pokemon now. Um, (laughs) My trauma is Pokemon. (laughs) (laughs) Is it complex PTSD, Cheyenne? Because I I got that. I got that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Dark humor. It's a a thing. Um, Yeah, so complex PTSD or CPTSD happens when a cause of post-traumatic stress disorder is a uh, repetitive thing, a uh, thing that is drawn out over long periods of time. And very often it is something that 
folks who were abused as children develop and and experience because oftentimes it was a drawn out or repetitive thing. And so one of the big things of CPTSD that I experience is just memory loss, a lot of, of stuff. And I have quote unquote memories that are stories that people have told about me or involving me as a child, but it's almost like you're watching a home movie of it. And so I don't actually have those memories. I just have like a recording of those memories and that kind of stuff. It's very odd trying to look back and think about childhood things or even adolescent things. Some of high school is even fuzzy. Like everything earlier than that is just... I'm um, glad you mentioned that because that's also something that I struggle with. And I find that like other people find it weird that like my memories of the past often play out like a home movie. Like I'm a character in them and not myself mm -hmm. or like sometimes I'm just not there at all like there's just a void where I would have been yeah it's a lot it's difficult referencing something you said a while ago with the realizing that you can be friends with people because you want to be friends with people and you have things in common with them and like common interests and stuff like that uh I that is 100% something I learned in college where I was like yeah. oh you can like just have friends who are into the same shit that you're into and you don't have to just like obligatory be besties with the girls in your church. Yeah, like having that opportunity, like I, I had friends in, I, I assume, elementary school, but definitely in, in high school that I like was our lunch group. Like one of us started hanging out with the other and then just like people started congregating into our little lunch lunch group. And that was cool. Like there were maybe didn't have all of the same situations but we just vibed together right and mm -hmm. like that was probably my first experience of that and then going into college it was a whole different thing because like I maybe knew like three other people at the school when I went and it was just like there are so many people there is so much stuff to do <laughs> Ooh, I want to be a ninja I'm gonna join the wushu team <laughs> that's pretty much what happened that's amazing <laughs> I didn't want to go to college, but I'm so glad I did. And I have the interesting experience of being the first quote unquote woman in my family line to graduate from college. And so like, that's something I'm really proud of now. Like that's an accomplishment. But what were you studying? I don't know if I ever knew your major. Uh, I was studying English, specifically with a focus in creative writing. Uh, because writing stuff. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, seeing as you are an awesome author. <laughs> I feel, I feel like the liberal, any of the liberal arts majors in particular, because I went in for theater and I got a minor in studio art. And one of the things that they immediately impressed upon me is that your best art is created by like knowing yourself, pouring yourself into your work. And at that point, I was like, well, Listen, I've got a shocking enough background. <laughs> like I don't I don't need to put on any airs and I, I feel like in a way it was yeah. therapy for me. Oh yeah. Art has been a huge therapy for me. Referencing Val, you mentioned that you weren't sure where my current relationships with my parents were. In my sophomore year of college, I decided that I was going to be no contact with my dad, which was a fucking huge thing. Oh my God. Still gives me a little bit of like, uh, about it now. <laughs> Years later, when I was in college for a lot of it, I was severely depressed. 
And that was one of the reasons I had to drop out because I was just not, it was not a healthy situation for me at the time. And honestly, part of that was realizing how fucked up my childhood was and how much trauma I was, I was unpacking. Thankfully, I had some really good support systems up there who um, encouraged me to uh, get a counselor and, and start going to therapy. And uh, I love therapy. I'm still in therapy. It's great. But I was having like that, that cognitive dissonance was kind of shattering a bit because I had, oh, well, I had a good life. I had food on the table. I had a house to live in. I had clothes. I had toys, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. I lived in an affluent area. That is um, what my parents would tell me. <laughs> Like, mm-hmm. you had all the things you needed, like, set aside the spankings and, like, the lack of emotional support. We were good parents. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, and, like, all of that was starting to, like, hit me, especially when I had conversations with other people about their childhoods. And I'm like, wait, none of this happened to you? This isn't acceptable in in regular society? What the fuck? You know, and I I started realizing like when my dad came up to visit one time and I was just in a panic, like dissociating as fuck. So I didn't realize I was in a panic until my friend who was there at the time talked to me about it. And I was like, this isn't normal. It's not normal to start having a panic attack when your parents call you, specifically my dad, but in general, like I, (laughs) I didn't realize that that experience wasn't healthy. I thought that, oh, well, I I have to be presentable. I have to, you know, have a certain bearing. I have to act a certain way. I have to, you know, do this and this and this to be able to be in the presence of this person or even, you know, verbally over the phone, be in the presence of this person. And it really fucked me up when I realized that literally any time I heard his voice, I would have a panic attack, let alone be in his presence. Wow. And his his voice was a big trigger for me for a very long time because whenever he got mad, he would yell. He'd be very loud and angry. And that was a whole thing. And so I decided sophomore year of college that I was going to write him a letter. And I wrote pages and pages of poems because at the time, that was one of the ways that I was trying to process my trauma. And process what was going on in my brain because I, because of the, the dissociation and everything, I have a very difficult time realizing what I am feeling and being able to process or understand what I'm feeling. And writing is a huge way that I do that. Uh, I've gotten a lot better over the years. I'm still working on it, obviously, but I've gotten better. But I wrote him pages of how I was feeling and how the stuff that he did or had done affected me and all that stuff. And I I sent it over email and I said, hey, please read this. This is what I'm feeling and why I would not like to be in contact with you until I decide that I want to be, if I choose. And he responds back with, I, I'm not I'm not entirely sure if he, he read all of them or not, but he responds back with, oh, are you sure? I'd love to talk to you about it. Oh my gosh. Mm, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a wreck. I was a wreck with all that stuff. He would kept texting me or calling me, especially on holidays and birthdays and and all of that stuff. And I would never respond, but it would fuck me up every time I would get a, a message from him. 
uh, even just a text. It didn't even have to be his voice. That was around the same time that I started realizing that I wanted to leave the church too, because I was starting to realize the way that the systems were set up to not let me have my own thoughts and not let me decide what is safe for myself. Because had I gone to like my bishop at the time and been like, hey, I am, you know, experiencing a lot of the, you know, trauma responses and all of this stuff. And I, I want to cut off ties with my dad. You know, in one of those bishop interviews, he would have brought up, you know, but aren't you supposed to forgive people? Right. Aren't you <laughs> yeah. Like, shouldn't shouldn't you be the bigger person? And forgive. Shouldn't you try and repair this? You don't want to walk around with the guilt of not forgiving people. Do you realize how fucked up that is to tell a trauma survivor? Yeah, you're just telling them that they need to remain in the situation because they have like this moral obligation to honor your parents. Yeah, and it's like maybe it would have been different had it been a significant other. Maybe. Maybe if you weren't married already. If you were married, nope. Definitely not, because, you know, you're sealed in the temple and your your souls are now linked and you're part of an eternal family. Right. <laughs> I always approach it with the like with the idea that the systems work, they work and they function and that's the way you should do things. And so if you're struggling with it, like that's on you. And immediately when I got out of it and started going to college, I'm like, oh no, actually the systems don't work at all. The systems keep people in bondage. That's what they're there for. Yep. They encourage you to just sit in the situation that you're in and not have dissenting opinions because, well, you're here and it's working, so it's fine. Everything's fine. If you're not happy, then that's something wrong with you. You should go pray about it. Right. I you know, if you just have faith, then maybe they'll change, right? So one of the things that we or that you had mentioned was just like this disassociation of like, and this like concept of like not being able to be like present inside of your emotions. And I feel like that is a lot of what they expect women to just always do. Like you're too emotional, you're too this, you're too that. You're not allowed to like experience anything when it happens. You always have to just like hold on to it. And sometimes you never get to like actually process that emotion. And I feel like that's an expectation. Like, I don't know, like maybe it's, especially in the Mormon religion, that this, like, you should always be happy. You should always be, like, helpful. You should always, like, be the your best version of yourself for other people, regardless of how you're feeling, regardless of, like, what experiences or how people are interacting with you. And I really felt that when you were, you were talking about disassociation and how like that was a big way of your trauma response is to disassociate rather than try and be present in your emotions. Yeah, because, you know, if you have opinions or emotions of about a situation, it'll get in the way of you fulfilling your role, whether that be as a mother or as a church leader or as just a sister in the audience. They do this flip side for boys, which is you're also not allowed to experience your emotion unless mm -hmm. it's anger, which just results in violence most of the time. Mm -hmm. So it's like they're doing things to the men that make them into abusive people, and then they do things to the women to convince them to stay in the abusive situations and make it their moral obligation to do so. Well, it's like obedience. Like, you have to be obedient. Yeah. Obedience is a really bad thing to teach a child. It I realized really that 
coming out, going into mm-hmm. college and being around like men who weren't socialized in the same environment as me. Like the fact that I had this trauma response of obedience literally beaten into me uh that was bad it was a really bad thing for my my safety yeah and setting up this expectation of having you know the good women being the ones who are subservient who will be like oh of course i'll do this of course you know you you are the the head of the house so i will follow you whatever you say and then like having that expectation puts a lot of pressure on the women but also on the men at the same time, because then how are they supposed to deal with real life when that's not the situation? When people actually, you know, have their own opinions and don't just go with what you say because they're supposed to, uh, because God said that you're the person in charge here. How are they supposed to deal with that? They're not given the tools to properly be able to react. For a lot of them, it it engenders this sense of privilege and attitude and just like this expectation that everybody should just do what they say. And it's like, that's not going to fly in the real world. Definitely not. I mentioned that the majority of my memories are not clear, but there are very specific ones that do pop up sometimes. There was a specific instance when I was in Young Women's, which... Age-wise is probably around like 16, maybe. And we were having a lesson in Sunday school or in young women specifically, which is uh, when the young women go off in, in one classroom and the, the boys around that age go off in another classroom. They fully separate us. So I don't know what they were learning, but this is what I was learning at the time. And the lesson was about modesty. <laughs> I see your reaction. You You know where I'm going with this, Val. The way it was phrased is something that has stuck in my head in a very toxic way since then. And I didn't realize how toxic it was until, you know, college-ish. But the fact that the reason why women should be modest, that includes young girls, that includes anyone visually identifying as female or presenting as female, rather, that the reason to, you know, not wear, quote-unquote, skimpy clothes, whatever that actually means is that if you do that you will put bad thoughts into the minds of the young men or the men in general it doesn't matter what age if you do this you are doing a bad thing if you want to wear a shirt that shows your shoulders oh god the men think of the men and how little they can control themselves because there are shoulders the horror quite literally creates this culture of being like the men are expected and allowed to control everyone else's behavior except their own well i just hate Mm -hmm. that it it puts the onus on women like men Mm -hmm. aren't expected to control themselves it's women that have to act perfectly so as not to disrupt the the very volatile man you know like it's mm-hmm. just, I feel like and if it, we were in the same class, because I feel like it, I had the same exact experience, or it's just doesn't like... Doesn't it feel like <laughs> condescending to the men at any point to be yeah. like, oh, you shouldn't right? be expected to control your own behavior. You're just a man. You're just a man, and you can't control your dick. It's the women's fault. Right? You were given this ability to have this power from God because you are so exalted in this very specific way because of your genetics. But you also can't be around people with bare shoulders because you'll lose your mind. 
Right. It's so broken. Like, how are people supposed to function properly in a system that teaches these ideologies that are so broken? I don't understand it. You get out into the real world, and I discovered uh, very fast that none of it matters. There's no way you can dress that will protect you from abusive men. There's nothing you can do in your behavior that will protect you. If someone's going to be abusive and an asshole, then that's because they're going to do that. They decided that that's what they're going to do. It's it's a it's a system of victim blaming that is made in the church. That's just straight up what it is. It's not healthy for anyone. It's at the same time putting too much responsibility on certain parties while removing all responsibility from others. And that is not fair on anyone. The way that they phrased it, the way that they taught it to us was literally turning the man into the victim. If they mm-hmm. acted upon their like their their desires and oh they'll have impure thoughts. I just remember them always saying like if yeah. you ever have impure thoughts, well you don't want to like, like or men will have impure thoughts, but women you know women don't like sex, they don't want sex. You know like that's that's also something that I felt like was like very much like taught by the church is that women just like didn't have the ability to do that they Um, used the phrase stumbling block a lot in my culture mm -hmm. where it's like but you don't want to be the cause you don't want to be the reason that a man has to control his thoughts and deal with his unwanted sexual attraction to you so you should cover up so you won't be a stumbling block and then i also had a lot of men that I interacted with in the church, they do this thing where it's like, well, it's harder for the men because we have the responsibility for making decisions for everyone. And if we make the wrong decision, that's more and it comes down on us. And I'm like, oh, well, like, don't don't do that. Nobody wants you to make their decisions for them. Stop it. I certainly don't want any of the 18-year-old like or like 16-year-old men inside of my church to make any of my decisions. Good lord. Oh, <laughs> let's let's all just be our independent selves and like cool if you have a partner or whatever. Like I might be a little biased cuz I'm very very asexual and aromantic. That's a whole other Thing that I could talk about in regards to the church. Oh my God. But like, can can we just all be our own people? And I know some people struggle with codependency and that's that's a whole different thing. But like this tying into my whole non-entity thing with the the way that the church taught me how to act and how I shouldn't be a temptation or I shouldn't be a volatile piece of a, of a situation because I will cause other people to do things that they shouldn't. That is literally what subconsciously being in an abusive situation is. And that is the way that the church is set up, That's, straight up. Yeah. Yeah. The further I get away from it, I'm like, you guys are doing literally everything wrong everything and i feel like it is the system that kind of supports itself by capitalizing on this thing of teaching people to live their lives in a way that is fundamentally not correct fundamentally broken and then using the fact that people fail to live this way as proof that they are sinful monstrous beings and therefore you need the church and you need to continue to give money to the church because you can't make it work and that's your fault Yeah, I I agree. It's definitely a cycle because along with that, it's one of those things where being in the church, you have this built-in family. You have this built-in community, especially if you are raised in it and born into the church like I was. 
deciding to leave is not only deciding that an ideology is not fitting with you. It's deciding that this group of people that you either grew up with or your family grew up with that literally was your community, was a safe place, was a place where, well, if you just follow the rules, you belong here. That's how it works. Even if those rules are toxic, which a lot of times you don't realize how toxic until you leave. But at the time when you're there, it's safe. When you're there, you know that like, oh, well, if I leave, then I'll have to I'll have to figure stuff out on my own. Because if I leave, then I admit that this is a broken system. If I leave, then what am I supposed to do with my life? I won't have this plan laid out for me. I won't be able to go to the temple and get married in the temple and have an eternal family. Then like you can go off on this whole existential spiral of, Oh, but what if I'm making a mistake? What if I decide to leave the church and then I won't be able to go to the celestial kingdom because I, you know, didn't get sealed uh, to my spouse and we didn't have kids and we didn't follow Heavenly Father's plan. And it's very easy, especially when you have anxiety. Hi. Um, But in general, to go off on those spirals of, you know, what if this decision that I make is actually just ruining everything for me in an eternal sense, not even just on this earth, right? But in an eternal sense, like, how are you supposed to deal with that? All of this shit that people are telling me, like my dad and my family, like, well, you're going to go to hell, you're going to burn in hell for all eternity, blah, blah, blah. All of these things that they were claiming were from the Bible, which they're not. Like, the Bible doesn't say that. That's another story for another time. But I was like, you know, actually, it all goes away if I stop believing that the Bible's the literal written word of God that dictates my entire life. All of it goes away. Suddenly, all of this pressure is gone if I don't buy into this concept. And it takes a lot to get to the point where you can separate yourself from that. There's still, like all the judgment and the guilt and everything Mm -hmm. that you were taught to feel about people and places and environments and your clothes and your body and just like everything that you have to basically unlearn and learn yourself kind of for the first time without the preconceived like notions that have already been taught to you you know you have to like think about like what does what do relationships look like how do you think about even just like this deference believing that older men are somehow like these wise people that have all the answers and you should feel safe around them even unlearning that because these are a bunch of strangers that you don't know and you you know like you're you're not safe (laughs) I still struggle with that kind of like urge to defer to men, even Mm -hmm. like no situation I'm in calls for that anymore. But it's just been so ingrained in me that it's something I had to overcome. But also one of the things that helped me get out of that mindset is at least in my church, they talked about quote, unquote, sinners, like they were fucking monsters, like they don't know how to love, they don't know how to care for people, they're doing everything wrong. And so then I got to college and I'm like, actually, most of these people are generally nicer people than what I'm used to interacting with. Oh, so much. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that it was as black and white the way that it was taught to me. 
I can't think of like very specific situations, but I know there was definitely like there are sinners and you don't want to go down that path because it'll ruin your whole life and change everything for you. And you don't want to be that person. And look at this place. Look at this like paradise that we're creating where you get to be with your family forever. You have the safe haven that the church is creating and you don't want to leave that. You don't want to abandon all that. And like it's it's very guilt focused rather than like, oh, these people are heathen, awful, terrible people that you don't want to even look at. Well, and from an outsider's perspective, as someone who didn't grow up in Mormonism, Mm -hmm. I felt like Mormonism in particular placed this burden of like, you need to go out and demonstrate to the world how good our faith is by your kindness and your purity and your chastity and and others should be attracted to the church by the way that you present yourself to sinners. And it's wild to me because I remember, you know, like being in those communities, but also all that friendliness, all of that always willing to help. There was always sort of this underlying thing where like, I know that there are a lot of you that just talk shit behind our backs that are like negative, that have treated like people in my family really negatively. But it's all kind of like in that passive way, that aggression that's not like on the on the nose. It's like, oh, you know, I saw you were wearing that like strapless dress and, you know, I'm just really worried about you. Uh, you know, like all of these like faux concerns where it was just like wrapped up in like, passive aggression and you just like you feel like you're trapped in it because you don't want to be like bitch shut up (laughs) but oh oh i have a story um it was when i had just recently left the church and when i was in college because you know college is expensive housing is expensive um other than my first year where i was in the dorms on campus where i had one roommate i lived in apartments off campus where i had either uh three or four roommates all of them were mormon except for one time where my best friend ended up being one of my roommates so it was after i had left the church and this is one of the ones that i had four roommates in in this in this place and all of them were mormon all of them were were still going to church and were heavily mormon and they were all wonderful people, right? I enjoyed being around. They were great. And oftentimes they would have the sister missionaries come over for dinner and that kind of stuff because uh, people in the church are encouraged to feed the missionaries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which is fun for uh, poor college kids. Let me tell you. But um, the sister missionaries were also very nice. I want to I want to say that they were very nice people. But I had decided to leave the church and all my roommates knew it. I had stopped going. I had stopped doing any of the various activities and that kind of stuff. And there was one time that the sister missionaries came over for dinner. And it wasn't like I avoided them when they came over, but it was more like, oh, I'm just doing something else at the moment. I'm just not, you know, hanging out with the group at the moment. And I'd kind of been doing that since I had left because I just didn't really want to talk to them about it, especially because it was still a very like uncomfortable situation for me because I had made this big decision and was still like getting questions about it from the people I knew who were Mormon, especially those on campus and everything that I would run into like, you know, to Sunday school, how are you doing? You know, and then I had to have the conversation and it was it was just the whole thing. And the sister missionaries by that point had known that I'd left the church, probably because my roommates had the conversation with them. 
um, which I don't know what was involved with that conversation. So, but we were all having dinner. We were all sitting in the living room and the sister missionaries started bringing up this conversation about, you know, making sure that the people who were struggling or who who seemed like they were not really connecting with the people in the church anymore, spending time with them and making sure that they knew that they could always come back and that, you know, we were always here for them no matter what. And that you should really try and make it a point of yours to reach out to these people all the time, as much as you can, because you don't want them to go astray. And I'm just sitting there in the middle of dinner, just eating and just not saying anything. Because like, what am I supposed to do in that situation? (laughs) Hi, thank you. Did you not realize this? This is my home. This is my dinner. You mean like like specifically you're talking about me right now? (laughs) Hi, how's it going? This is why I have social anxiety. Fuck. (laughs) <laughs> like, like all of these conversations and stuff happen around me, even though I'm literally there. And it's like, okay, what am I going to do now? If I leave, this is a process of my anxiety and stuff like that, because I'm in a situation. And then I start spiraling on thinking about what everybody else is going to think, no matter what I do. So, oh, if I leave now, it's going to seem, oh, am I am I purposefully being rude? You know, even though this is literally my house, but this is my thought process that like, oh, well, the sister missionaries are over for dinner. You're supposed to be nice to the sister missionaries. Maybe I'm going to insult my roommates because this is a this is a conversation that is very important to them and everything. But eventually I came to the point that like, fuck it, I am uncomfortable. I don't want to be here. I'm going to leave. And so eventually, I just went up to my room, which was a literal closet. I lived in a closet. <laughs> that was my room. It didn't have a door. Oh my what? I just no. sat up there and finished my dinner and put a curtain over the door. Well, I'm glad that you took your stand, even though, like, it was... That, but that they should never put you in that position, though. Like, in no. your own home, eating your own dinner, like... That's just messed up. Like, come into my house, eat my food, sit at my table, and judge me. It was just a whole thing. Like, it's it's really rough when you leave and you're still surrounded by people who just don't understand how damaging being in that situation is. Mm-hmm. And it was not a spur-of-the-moment decision for me to leave the church. It took years of thinking about it and realizing that the things that I felt we're not lining up with the church or the church made me uncomfortable or certain things that the structure of the church perpetuated were toxic. Deciding to leave was a huge thing, not only socially while I was still up there where I still had all of these Mormon friends and all of that, but also like there are still conversations that when I go over to like my grandparents' house in Utah, I just leave. I'm just not going to be in this conversation because I know if I say anything, it's going to make... Actually, I legitimately don't know how they would respond to some of the things that I would say because that is one of those situations where they just don't talk about certain things. Right. That's an interesting dynamic, too, because when I left my church and went to college, I just lost everybody. Just lost everybody. People like blocked me on Facebook, people stopped talking to me, all of that kind of stuff. And so it was just kind of like, well, 
I guess let's focus on adapting to the outside world because that's all I got now. But that's like an incredible amount of pressure to put on someone to be just like, well, let's keep you surrounded by people who in our belief system so that you don't have the opportunity to like think about anything else. Yeah, and I think that the the Mormon religion is it's so family oriented that that was largely it. Like my older sister is still very Mormon. My mother has gone back to the Mormon church after taking a break from it. But I remember when I first left the church and first like was just like I don't want anything to do with this. I remember whenever I would go over to dinner or whenever it was like a family dinner and they would say prayer you know, they have to say prayer before the meal. There was Mm -hmm. always something in it that was like, they're talking about me. Like, Mm -hmm. like something about the prayer. Every single time they're just like, and bless Valerie. And, and, you know, like, make sure that that no one strays from the path. And they would just there's always like some little thing that was like this passive aggressive call out in prayer over our meals as a family. So it's just like, okay, all right, you know, like, and I just came to expect it and just ignore it. And I, I stopped even like gesturing for prayer. I stopped crossing my arms. I kept my mm-hmm. eyes open and I was like, yep. All right. Just get her over with. <laughs> yeah. I started doing that after a couple of years as well. I was at a wedding, a friend's wedding. It was fairly recent and it was a Catholic service. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a Mormon one, but we were in a church at a beautiful, beautiful church decorations the stained glass it was (laughs) it was beautiful but you know this the actual service happened and all of that stuff and they prayed literally like five times during that service sheesh (laughs) right like it's a minute long prayer every time there was a part of me that was a little like it's the anxiety again but a little part of me that would be like worried about like oh what if i i made a sound and like people realized that I wasn't like going along with it. And then the other part of me is just like, fuck it. They know I'm not religious. I'm I'm not like, fuck this, uh, you know, in the middle of their, their stuff. Like I'm existing and that's okay. I exist yep. in my own way and it's fine. I remember once uh, I had gone back to visit my parents and so I had to go to church with them. And it seemed to me like they saved the most offensive sermons for when I came back. But the reality is probably that they're full-time offensive all the time, all the time. We're terrible people. But I remember at one point having to listen to an anti-gay sermon and being like, I'm going to sit here and think the gayest thoughts. Okay? I'm going to think such gay thoughts? (laughs) You can't stop me. Oh my gosh, yes. Silent rebellion in the middle of their sermon. I appreciate that so much. Not that anybody felt the gay energy radiating off of me, but it was. I, I, I wonder sometimes if the people who are doing that, like, not that, because they knew that they were having an anti-gay situation. That's a terrible band name. <laughs> the anti-gay situation. I would name a band the gay situation. Gay situation exactly. sounds like a pretty good band. I would, I'd go see them. Yes. <laughs> if someone was the anti-gay situation we'd have a problem right. um, but like the gay situation is a band name i wonder sometimes in those situations when like the prayer thing at like one of your family's dinners val or you know those conversations with like the sister missionaries or whatever like sometimes i really wonder like 
do they understand how uncomfortable that they are creating a situation? Or is it one of those things where they are just like, oh, this is absolutely for their betterment and there could never possibly be any negative repercussions to this whatsoever to their, you know, mind or soul or whatever. I think it's the second one. And I have like encountered this in talking to different people that I went to church with trying to get me to come back. If you have this mindset that your lifestyle, your religion, your belief system is the only correct one, then it justifies a lot of shitty behavior. Because it's like, well, I know I'm making her uncomfortable, but it's okay to do that because she needs to come back to our family. And it's okay to say judgy things about her during the prayer because it's for her good. And I would be doing a disservice if I wasn't being this rude. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, I I could see that. I mean, we see that mirrored in political stuff that's happening right now as well. How people are spinning a anti-trans or anti-LGBTQ, etc, etc, stance as being a protection for their children rather than seeing it as harmful to people right (laughs) exactly exactly like for me personally like i said i'm ace i'm non-binary i am very queer hi Mm -hmm. i exist um (laughs) and (laughs) if i had had the words and the ability to explain and figure out who i was earlier in my life holy shit that would have done so much for my mental health and for my acceptance of myself and my self-confidence and all that it holds you back in your development as a human being the amount of stuff that you don't get to discover about yourself and setting aside the fact that there is so much abuse in these communities it's like Mm -hmm. do you want to talk about the trans people you don't want to like take a second to look at the plank in your own eye and the amount of Mm -hmm. uh, damage that's being caused by your beliefs and the people who agree to them oh definitely the mormon church in particular because that's the the one that i have experience with directly so i can't really speak for for a lot of other ones with the way it was very strongly focused on family and very strongly focused on, you know, growing up to find a partner, to get married, to have kids so your kids could have kids. And, you know, you could create the vessels for the souls of the unborn spirits to come and experience this trial on earth the way that the Heavenly Father's plan is supposed to be. And you have someone who, like me, I was just never interested in other people. I am very asexual, so and and like everything is a spectrum, but I am very not interested in sex at all. That's just not a thing for me. I've never had any interest. Same with romantic stuff. I am very aromantic, so I just don't have any need for it. I don't have any want for it. And half the time, I really don't get the (laughs) why it's such a big deal anyways. And growing up in the church where everything was predicated on that being the plan, where do I fit into that? Like, what is broken about me that I don't want that? That I would rather to point out in what ways you're broken. Oh, always, always. Yeah. Well, you don't fit this mold. So you're broken. So you should fix yourself. You should go pray about it. You should go bear your testimony about how you should be this, just in case any listeners are not familiar with that, because we've referenced it a couple times now. There 
was meetings like I feel like it was once a month um but it was it was pretty pretty regularly in lieu or in the middle of a regular like Sunday school situation where you know we'd be in the the pews and the the bishop and the the people teaching would be up on the on the pulpit in lieu of that we'd have a testimony meeting where anybody in the audience could go up and bear their testimony. And it could be anything from, you know, a two-sentence thing. Maybe a little kid went up and and said how they're they're happy to be part of an eternal family and they love their parents and everybody like claps a little bit and then they walked out. Anything from that to somebody talking about how the church, you know, saved their life, how they 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 go up there and they talk for 15 minutes straight about their life story and that kind of stuff. And everybody cries and there's tissues passed around and all that stuff. But it's one of those things where it's just open for anybody to walk up and tell their story. Uh, it's a way to receive feedback about your emotions and your experiences. And it's a whole feedback loop. You never go up there if you're going to say anything bad about the church. You just don't. That's not what you would do. You only go up there if you want people to be like, yes, Very what you said. Observation, using it as a feedback loop to validate the experiences and emotions you're having. It's a very good observation. Yeah. Cause because that's why that's why people would always say, hey, pray about it and then maybe give your testimony about it in next testimony meeting. Because what they were saying was, hey, think about how much we want you to feel this and then go up and talk about it. And everyone will clap for you and tell you that that is correct. And there is no room in that cycle for self-judgment or self-doubt, rather, at least not in the way that the church wants it or to, critical, to Or critical thinking. Yeah, we had those services periodically where we would just start our regular church service by passing around a microphone and giving your testimony. And to me, it felt like you don't have to testify at every meeting. But you have to testify occasionally or otherwise people are going to be like, hey, you haven't given a testimony in a while. What's going on? What's going on with you? Is God moving in your life? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. You would, if, if you had any amount of physical personality in the church, that if people noticed you and you didn't go up every once in a while during testimony meeting, you'd definitely get comments like that. I, I remember the, those kind of comments being given or hearing them uh, as you walk down the halls in, in church or, you know, and it's always laced with concern. It's always like, hey, are you doing okay? Testimony was definitely kind of like, I, I experienced the testimony the most when I was a kid. Of course, I saw it like every, like once a month. I think, I think it was once a month listening to people's testimonies. And sometimes they were wild, like some lady who's just like, oh yeah. And then a loaf of bread appeared, and I didn't expect it, and I knew it was from God. And it's like, okay, lady, all right, whatever. <laughs> and I know that, like, they looked down upon people doing the fanfare about testimonies and then being, like, about entertaining people, and you're just supposed to, like, tell them, I know this is true, and this is true, and this is true, and, like, that's my testimony. Occasionally, so. we would get, like, a couple that had recently gotten married talking about how they're going to work on making babies. And I was like, ugh, oh, ugh, so don't tell me that. Don't tell me that in church. It's weird. TMI, mm. TMI. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Please leave that to your personal life and don't talk about this is public technically. Like, yeah, this is, this is we're not outside, but this is like a public thing. But yeah, mm. like having 
having that kind of thing. And it would never be a thing where I'd walk up onto the pulpit and say, hey, I know that the plan here is to have a have a husband and get married and stuff. But I don't want to. I, I, I don't want to. Like, good luck, guys. I'm not interested. Please leave you know, me alone. Bye. I tried, I tried really hard to go into the military because that for me was essentially like joining the nunnery. They can't like directly condemn me for doing that because they're pro-military and because my dad was Marine. So it's like, well, I, I can choose this route and it'll delay marriage for me. Like they'll still expect me to m- get married at some point, but it will at least put a pause on it for a while. And uh, the only reason I didn't is because lupus is an automatic D- DQ. But when I was approaching 18, I felt that there was a huge amount of pressure around like, get married. Who are you going to be having sex with? Especially because my body was very easily sexualized. It was like they needed to get me married off to protect the men, which is gross yeah and like even to this day like my my brothers aren't married and they don't have girlfriends or anything and my mom is always just like well they'll just meet the right person it'll all change everything that you feel will change when you just meet the right person and you'll know and god will provide this this perfect person for you as long as you follow the church god will provide this ideal wife or husband whatever it is that like you have any sort of like question about it's just like pray about it follow the church and god will provide in the same way that that sex will be magical it'll be magical if you stay a virgin and have no experience it'll be miraculously good because that's how that works we're we're on Zoom, so so these two have been able to see my very big hand motions and stuff as this topic has come up. Uh, because I have a lot of feelings about this situation. Because ever since I realized I was ace and and aromantic, um, and really when I realized those were a thing, it was very quickly afterwards that I'm like, whoa, yeah, I'm definitely those. Those are definitely how I experience the world. The amount of comments that I have gotten fully unsolicited, whether that be family members or family members, friends or friends, etc. About how, oh, you'll just meet the one person, the right person. And then, you know, this thing that you think you are, no, that, that that'll go away because you're just feeling that because you just haven't met the person who's going to click with you, who's going to complete you because, oh, my fucking God. That idea that you need a person to make you your full self is one very degrading for the person for the people who don't need that who like emotionally do not need that kind of input saying that you need that and two it causes so much toxic relationships and stuff because especially when like the amount of people who come out of high school and who were like, oh, well, I can't be on my own. I, I'm not a full person without a, another person. So I need to get married. I need to have children. I need to do this and this and this immediately because I am not a complete person without this. 
I am lacking. It's simply not true. Ideally, if you want to have a good relationship, you should come into that relationship as a whole and complete person. Exactly. But then I also feel like a lot of the men and boys in this situation, they are disenfranchised in that they've never been taught how to clean a house. They don't know how to cook for themselves. They don't know how to clean up after themselves. They don't know how to do laundry. And so it's like, if they don't get partnered up, then their life just kind of falls apart. And that happens outside of the church too, where it's like, you'll find these men who will not break up with their partner unless they have someone else on the line, because they know if they do that their living situation will degrade dramatically. And I'm like, hey, teach boys to wash dishes, please. Yeah, and they do sort of like separate things out, like even just the separation of like what they taught young women and young men. Like I remember my brothers talking about how they were doing shop things, so they got to work with wood and tools. And then I was like, oh, well, we baked some cookies, we learned how to sew, all of things which I'm glad I learned. But simultaneously, like there's there shouldn't be a differentiation between women's work and men's work. Like they're all everyone should know all the things. Yeah, boys should know how to bake cookies. I should get to know how to hang anything. (laughs) I lived in this weird space where, and my dad did expect me to fully get married, be a Christian wife, uh, submit to my husband, all of those things. But also, he was like, "Oh, are you going to join the military? You're going to be a five star general. Why don't you come help me fix my car?" So I was like this very strange dichotomy where, like, I got to do everything I wanted, but the expectation was that I was going to have to give it up someday in exchange for a marriage. That's interesting. And I am sorry that that expectation was put on you because you should have been able to grow up knowing what you wanted and being able to continue to have that expectation of being who you wanted because you are you. The thing that I come away with from all of this and all of the unnecessary and pain and suffering that this causes is in a roundabout way, it's produced some of the most amazing, wonderful people I have ever known. Like you see things done wrong for so long and like I got out of it and I'm like, there's no reason for anyone to be suffering this way. It's stupid. It definitely teaches you a lot for sure. And especially if you can come out of it wanting to, and and if people don't want to, that's fully understandable because there's a lot of trauma involved. But I really appreciate when people can then communicate about those traumas in whatever way is healthy for them. Because if I had had more people that had similar situations to me growing up, or rather if they had been available to speak about their access to people to share with you in that way. Yes. That would have helped me so much because it would have felt a lot less like one, either staying in an abusive relationship with my community or two, deciding to just jump off the deep end into a world that I didn't understand because it didn't work the way that I was taught the world worked. And that's one of the reasons why almost immediately after leaving the church, I was like, I am never going to fucking shut up about this. I am going to talk about it because people need to know what is going on in these like insular environments because it's not cute. It's not cute that they're teaching their kids this way. And it's, I feel yeah. like it's especially really damaging for kids who grow up in those scenarios. Like 
I think we've talked about it before on the podcast where there are people who have gone through bad experiences and then go to the church and then find solace and, you know, like this alternate thing, but they get to decide when they're adults, you know, that they want it. But as kids, when you're ingrained in it and all of the negative thing, trappings of religion are just thrust upon you, it's not fair. It's not good for kids. In general, wanting people to talk about their experiences when they're ready. Like, I knew it took me a long time to really process it enough myself to be able to talk about it. And the first time I was super vulnerable, even just writing it out, I felt like super vulnerable and it was difficult for me. So, you know, except like for any listeners, like except that it is a process, you know, you're going to have to, you know, work through those emotions and those trauma situations. And you may not want to shout it from the rooftops immediately, but you might also. Kim, uh, all the power to you. Everything is up to the individual. It's one of those things where I never want someone to feel pressured to talk about something that they don't want to talk about or do something that they don't want to do because we go through some fucked up shit straight up and like for some people talking about that is reliving it and it is not healthy or they are not in a, a, a place where that can be healthy sometimes ever and for some people like they might be living in a situation in which they are not safe and I want to specifically address that because you need to take care of yourself and you need to be able to survive however you need to survive. And if that means not disagreeing with the situation verbally, even though you do in your heart, because you are in danger if you do so, if that is what you need to do until you can leave, do it. Say that too, because a lot of these religions place such a high value on personal honesty. And I just want to tell you, if you are in a position where it's not safe to be honest, that's not a fault on your part. That is the fault of the people who have created that environment. Absolutely. If you feel like if you shared your testimony about being queer in the middle of testimony meeting or whatever your church calls it, and you feel like you could get jumped or hurt or something because of that, please take care of yourself. Please. Or lose support, lose financial support, lose a spouse, lose parents. Yeah. Like I have been thankfully in a situation where I have good support systems. And I am very grateful for that because that allowed me to really be able to figure out the best way that I could live and be myself. And if you don't have those, jumping off into the deep end can be really, really dangerous. And I encourage people to seek out however they need, whether that be in person or on the internet or whatever, the support systems they need. I I cannot imagine how terrifying it would be to make some of the decisions that I've made without those people. And you know, one of the things that the three of us have in common is fandom, cosplay, Mm -hmm. convention culture, things like that. And I was so happy when I learned that I could have community and support and still be who I am. Not every community out there is going to require you to like lie about who you are or try to be someone else. There is absolutely supportive community out there where you will be accepted as you are. Absolutely. And I hope that everyone listening, if you don't have that, can find that because it makes so much of a difference. Do we lose Cheyenne again? I think so. 
it seems like a good place to wrap. Do you yeah. want to just like you and I record a wrap up and then? Sure. Uh, yeah, that? that sounds good. So yeah, I think that, you know, on the flip side of sharing your testimony, I would say that like today's sin is just honesty. Make yourself accessible to people who might, you know, of course, in if you're in a safe space in your own way to share your experiences with people because of how powerful that is. And of course, if you ever want to share your experiences on our podcast, uh, the way Cheyenne has, it's been so wonderful talking about like the very Mormon specific, but also just like religion in general, sharing their experiences. Yeah, if uh, you're ever interested in that, you can certainly reach out at EdensApplePodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> there is nothing wrong with who you are. In whatever ways you can live your truth, whatever way you feel safe to live your truth, uh, we support you. Thanks for joining us on this adventure and Cheyenne's connection dropped. Thank you so much again <laughs> to Cheyenne for agreeing to come on the program. We appreciate you so much. Um, and for everyone else out there, bye. Bye.